invite you to remain standing a moment longer for this morning's reading from the gospel. I'll be reading from John's gospel, the 20th chapter, verses 1 through 18. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciples set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabunai, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So today on this resurrection day, we, we've talked about surprises. We, we speak in, in terms of this experience that these first disciples had at the empty tomb. You know, I, I think sometimes surprise is ingrained to us. Think about yourselves as children. Look at the children when they are surprised, when they opened up those eggs and those things went crazy on them. Think about how we're surprised in the giving of gifts at Christmas. How we're surprised on birthdays with presents. How in competitions we typically don't know who's going to win. There are surprises all around us. And so today, this story of the empty tomb, this experience, is an experience of being surprised. I like to look at this text that I read to you, these 18 verses. I think there's really two scenes here, although it seems like there's one. The first scene deals with surprise or, or mystery, if you will. It's an empty tomb. And, and, and between... Mary Magdalene and Peter and this other disciple whom most people think is John, the one who wrote the text, calls himself the beloved disciple, the disciple that Jesus loved. He likes to set him apart, himself apart like that. These three try to figure out what's going on here. It's not clear. 
They don't know what's happened to the body. Most of us assume it's been stolen at this point. And then in, in the next, that's like verses 1 through 10, in the next eight verses, we have a resolution, if you will, of the mystery because Mary is the first witness to that very first resurrection appearance of Jesus. And so it's in those next eight verses that scene two takes place. And Mary's surprise begins to be made more powerful in this realization that Jesus is not dead. He is alive. There was a story I read about talking about surprises. Pastor Wayne Major talked about growing up as a, as a high schooler. He and his best friend loved to play pranks on people. One of the two had a car. Now, this was, a, this was a while back. And so what they realized in this car was you could take, in the back seat, you could take the seat back out and actually access the trunk from within inside the car. So they could literally be inside the car, and one of them could climb into the trunk, and they could put the seat back, and the other one would go pick up a friend, and they would drive around and get into some sort of a conversation with this new friend, and then the one hiding in the trunk could appear in the back seat as if he had been there the entire time. And so it was a surprise moment. And those high schoolers <laughs> loved to play that prank. They loved to see the reaction on the other person sitting up there in the front seat. Pastor Phil Calloway talks about a five-year-old, his son. He said one day they were driving by a cemetery. And there was a freshly dug grave. The dirt was still piled there. And, and the five-year-old who always makes those powerful observations said, Look, Dad, one got out. <laughs> I tell that story, obviously, because this is an open grave story. This stone that had been placed over this grave that Jesus had been placed in had been moved away. Last week, if you were here, you know I made the comment that Luke's text that he wrote uh, last week when we were talking about that, that first parade, that Palm Sunday when, when Jesus rode in on one side of town while Pilate was coming in on the other side of the city in a, in a more uh, political, a military kind of uh, statement. Jesus is coming in on the lowly donkey uh, being praised on that side of town while the mighty Pilate and the Roman entourage came in on the other side of town. I had lots of questions. Well, this passage of Scripture this morning, 18 verses, I think we all ought to have some more questions. Uh, first off, to simply think that an empty tomb causes people to believe, I think, is an incorrect observation or belief, if you will. The empty tomb needs to be reflected upon. There are empty tombs, especially in this time, uh, 2,000 years ago, Robbing graves was a way that some, especially some thieves, tried to make a way in life. It was not uncommon for graves to be robbed, for the treasures that had been placed with the deceased to be taken away. And certainly there was also malicious grave robbing where bodies were stolen. So just having an empty grave for Mary Magdalene and, and uh, Peter and John does not cause them to believe. I'm left thinking that maybe that's what they were thinking was going on. I mean, that's what Mary thinks. Somebody's taken uh, our Lord's body. So we have questions uh, that don't necessarily equate us to a moment of faith or belief. Uh, here's kind of, Mary assumes, in those first ten verses, Mary assumes 
somebody's stolen the body. She's going to have a conversation with whom she thinks is the gardener in the next scene, scene two, if you will, as I mentioned. Uh, here we have the other two disciples, the beloved disciple, the one that seems to be able to run faster than Peter. He gets to the, to the open tomb first. He looks in and sees the grave wrappings, but it's Peter who finally reaches the tomb. He's the one that goes in. He sees the same uh, wrappings, but notices the head linen lying there. He sees something that John didn't see, and yet they both go home. They go back to their homes, according to John's text. They, although John is given credit or he credits himself with believing, it's not the kind of belief yet. It's not a resurrection belief yet. We don't know what he believes. John doesn't tell on himself. But we know in other parts of John's gospel, chapter 2, I think, the wedding, Cana of Galilee, when Jesus turns the water into wine, it says there that the disciples believe then. But he doesn't say what they believe. They certainly don't have a resurrection experience at the wedding at Cana of Galilee. When Jesus heals the Samaritan woman at the well by giving her living water, and she goes back into town and tells all the town folk about Jesus and what he offers... It says they believed. But John doesn't tell us what they believed yet. The belief occurs in the experience of encountering Jesus. We need that experience. The church always needs experience of encountering the risen Christ. Have you encountered the risen Christ? I bet you haven't been to Jesus' tomb. You may have been on a tour where they said, Hey, this is where Jesus was buried. But you probably didn't encounter the risen Christ in that tomb. We need these personal experiences with Jesus, the risen Lord, so that our lives can be made different. So when John says belief, perhaps he just meant John and Peter believed what Mary had assumed. Somebody stole the body. Mary, who's standing outside the tomb, she, in scene two, is still looking for the corpse when she hears somebody speak. And that person speaking is the risen Lord, but Mary still doesn't know it's Jesus. She thinks it's the gardener who, what have you done with my Savior? I'll take him away. Bring him back. This is not a trick. Do the Romans have the body so that Jesus couldn't be a martyr to this new group of believers? All these questions kind of exist. We don't even know why Mary went to the tomb. In Luke's gospel, there's multiple women who go to the tomb. Obviously, or hopefully in their eyes, they have enough strength to roll the stone away. But in John's gospel, how can Mary do this on her own? Maybe she, like Nicodemus, didn't want to be seen. Maybe she went early in the morning to pay homage to Jesus. Maybe she just wanted to be at the tomb because she had seen Jesus late in there after His crucifixion on Friday. All these kinds of questions for us. But in scene two, as, as Mary gets clarification, as this voice says, Mary, why are you crying? The same words that the angels inside the tomb use, Mary, why are you crying? It's in Jesus naming her, Mary, that she realizes that she is in the presence. She is having an experience of the risen Lord. Now John, when John believes, John doesn't have a... a he, he, he's not, I don't think he's able yet to put together a resurrection experience. The early church, in the wake of Jesus' death and resurrection, began to think back into Scripture. 
the Scripture that Jesus had preached on, their own understandings of Jewish Scripture to build a new understanding that those Hebrew texts were pointing to a Messiah. But that Messiah had not been foretold to be crucified and resurrected. And so this new experience of Jesus being alive, this new experience of grappling with Scripture began to have a powerful change in their lives. And so experience, my friends, does matter. We've got to allow ourselves to experience Jesus Christ. We've got to allow ourselves to let Jesus help us understand Scripture and what our meaning and purpose is in this life. Pro golfer Paul Azinger, you know I've got to throw a golf story in there. Pro golfer Paul Azinger, at about 33 years of age, this is a few years back, was diagnosed with cancer. And it was in that diagnosis of cancer that, that Paul realized that, that he was mortal. You know, so often we live our young lives thinking that we're bulletproof, that we, we bounce back so quickly, that, that sickness is just a momentary kind of an experience until we get these grave kinds of, of diagnoses. And Paul Azinger said, I realized that I could die from this cancer. And he said, further, I realized that I was going to die someday anyway. Paul Azinger's friend said, You know, Paul, so often we choose to live our lives as if we're living among the living and headed to be with the dying. He says, That's all backwards. He says, Actually, we live with the dying and we hope to someday be with the living. And Paul Azinger said, When I put that together, when I realize that, that Jesus is offering us a, a living life, a life that should be vibrant and abundant with love and grace, forgiveness and peace, when I can do those kinds of things, then I realize I begin that life of living. And those who choose not to continue to live with the dying. Friends, that's a, a great message for us on Easter. Easter shouldn't just be an observance. You know, when was the last time you went to a museum? When was the last time you went to a historical marker? Did anybody read the historical marker outside the church this morning? Have you been to a monument lately? The Washington Monument? Old Sam down there in Huntsville? Those kinds of things and places are where we go to observe and remember. But unfortunately, some of us see Easter that way. We'll get out the best. We'll have something special. We'll buy extra clothes. We'll... We'll do these things as, as, a, as a moment to remember or to observe, and yet resurrection is meant to transform. To transform not just Mary and Peter and John and those early disciples, not just to give life to a new church, but to transform my life and your life so that we choose to live life differently as a people of forgiveness, peace, love, and especially hope, at a time like ours, and ours may be different due to technology and the timeline, but life, like the last 2,000 years of the church, giving people hope, but living life differently so that we can come to the tomb, wherever that encounter with our Lord is going to be, wherever in life, whatever station in life we find ourselves, that we can come questioning, we can come doubting, we can come even not believing, or we can come as a maturing disciple, and yet, in the experience 
of finding the risen Lord, life is lived differently. Not just a remembrance, but a changing life. A life recommitted, a life rededicated to a life in Christ. Pastor Stephen Brown uh, talked about uh, his brother dying. His brother was a, a loved attorney, a beloved attorney, a attorney in a faraway town, a father, a churchgoer. And Stephen said, I was unable to get to my brother's funeral. The weather was so bad I couldn't get a flight. But he said, a month later I went to his town where he had been buried. I went to the cemetery. It was pouring down rain and they had not yet placed the marker for the grave. I could not find my brother's grave. He said, I was so troubled by that. But while I was standing in that cemetery, he said, I realized he's, he's not here. His body may be here somewhere, but he's not here. And he said, from that moment on, life took on a different view for me. I was not going to be chained to visiting his grave, even though he's buried there somewhere, because he is among the living. And I think when we begin to put resurrection experiences together, when we allow God to be God and not force God into something that God has no intention to be because it makes us feel comfortable, then we can have resurrection experiences. There was a woman who for years took care of her aging parents. Every day she made them tea. That's what they liked to drink. She would get a, a metal can off the shelf and, and get the tea bags out of the tea. She said on that tin there was this, this large rock and she said one day years after her parents passing she had the opportunity to visit Egypt she went on a ship she passed through the straits of Gibraltar she looked out the porthole of her ship and she saw the rock that she had seen every day on the outside of that tin that contained the tea she says it's real it's a real place friends that's what a resurrection experience can do for us. It can bring real new life to us if we'll only trust. Pastor Ray uh, Prattmere says uh, there was a, a famous preacher about 100 years ago, T. DeWitt Talmadge, and, and Talmadge was trying to explain 100 years ago about God and, and the power that God has, and he used the old phonograph, if you can think about it. The old phonograph is an example. He asked his congregation in his message, he said, how many of you have had experience with a phonograph? And a few had, at that time, had, had, they'd, they'd heard of it, but they hadn't seen it. And so he said, you know, it's, it's amazing that, that, that a human voice can be recorded on this cylinder and that years after the person has died, that voice can still be heard. And people were, yes, yes. And he said, you know what? If, if, if humans can come up with that, can't God come up with a resurrection? that can change your life? Can't God give you life to your bodies, not just at some future date, but life here and now, so that you can choose to walk out of these doors differently than when you came in? Can't God do that? And the answer, of course, is yes. God not only can give us life, but wants to give us life. And He doesn't force that changed life on us, but He invites us. He invites us. He wants us to choose life over death. To reject those things that keep us entombed, that keep us away from the power of life. And so on this Easter Sunday morning, 
If you have come to that place in life, that experience in life, how will you leave? How will you leave that experience? As a changed person or as the same person that came to that tomb? God gives us the power through the power of the Holy Spirit. God gives us life through the resurrection of His Son, Jesus Christ, to be different. In just a moment, we're going to come to His table. We're going to lean to the Lord's table. A moment to renew, a moment to refresh, a moment to actually have made tangible the, the body and blood of Christ so that on this Easter Sunday morning, you can leave your tomb differently. That you can live the life God has prepared for you. I hope and I pray that you choose that life in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.